Hello, everybody. Welcome to Crunch Time with Keegan and the Boys. I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Sam Gotzi and Tanner Dislin. Today, we'll be breaking down the worst fields and courts and sports and bring the NBA back into the convo with Capper Fact. Let's get into episode 25 here on Crunch Time. We're going to hop into the winner and loser, first starting with winner. We're going to go with a Crunch Time special here for our winner, and we're going to go with Tanner. We've, we've gone with individuals on the podcast, related to the podcast, birthdays and whatnot in the past. The reason why Tanner is going to be a winner here is because he narrowly avoided our first non-monthly punishment. What that means is we have a caveat with our pickums that not only do we have monthly punishments, we also, if you go over in a week, so depending on how many games we pick in the week, if we pick five games like we did last week, if you go O and five, don't get a single win, you get a punishment. We thought it was fair. If you're that bad, you deserve to be punished. Going into Monday Night Football, Tanner was 0-4. Luckily for him, he had the Patriots, narrowly avoiding punishment. So Tanner was a big winner. How did you feel avoiding that punishment? I mean, it, it felt great. Obviously, not doing a punishment is great, but it's more kind of wearing the burden as the first winless week I didn't want. <laughs> so kind of killing those those two birds with one stone and, and getting able to get that win on the board was huge. Uh, no thanks to Mac Jones. Of course, I still can't believe he only threw the ball three times in a game that the Patriots won, but trust in Bill, Billy B and the Patriots won. Monday night football is really interesting from two perspectives in terms of pickums. Not only were you trying to avoid a winless week, but going into the matchup, I'd pick the bills. You would pick the Patriots along with Sam, the two of us, Tanner, we're tied first for our overall records. And so you're back on top all by yourself. I'll make sure to get you this week, but we'll talk about that later. Tanner, I'm actually going to throw it to you next for our loser. Who's our loser of the episode? Our loser is whatever happened with the Miami head football coach situation, because it was very bizarre. It was very bizarre. They had made it known that they wanted Mario Cristobal, who was the head coach at Oregon. Uh, and made it known through media that they were talking to him and, and working to finalize a contract, but they weren't sure that they were actually going to be able to agree. And if that was the case, then they were going to keep their current head coach, Manny Diaz. So a, a college football program with a head coach under contract was negotiating with another head coach who was under contract at a different school, which happens all the time. But that news was leaked before they knew it was a sure thing. It wasn't like the Lincoln Riley or the Brian Kelly, where when we found it out, we were just like, he's gone. We know that's happening. So much so that when the news was leaked, they felt the need to specify their backup plan if they aren't able to, to get Mario Cristobal to come from, from Eugene out of Miami. So it was just really weird and a very weird way to kind of motivate your employees to say, if we can't get them, we're coming back to you. So get ready for that. It, it was just really weird. But that, that awkward conversation was avoided because they actually were able to secure Mario Cristobal. He is going down to Miami to coach the Hurricanes next year. But a, just a really weird situation and kind of a, a second installment of a very poorly managed head coach search and head coach announcement with, with Brian Kelly and, and now Mario Cristobal. A really rare situation where you have one school paying for two head coaches. <laughs> it's like that's uh... – Yeah. That's a strange situation. Let's transition into Give Me Five, where we're going to break down the worst fields and courts in all of sports. Sam, let's go to you first. What does your worst five, top five or bottom five, however, however you want to look at it, what does your five look like? So number five, probably the most notable out of my five is the Boise State blue turf. Uh, it's kind of a classic, ugly field. Um, number four. I have uh, James Madison old basketball court at the convocation center. And the reason it's so ugly is there are two giant bulldogs printed on the court overly big on the court takes up three fourths of the court, just unnecessarily big. Um, number three, I have a uh, university of central Arkansas football stadium might be what, 
it's just so ugly. The color scheme with the pinstripe of gray and purple and then black end zones just does not look good. But there are worse. Uh, number two, um, Easter Washington's neon red field. Uh, just no need for that. And that's all I'll say. And then number one. So while doing, uh, looking up these ugly um, fields, came across Bella Vernon High School in Pennsylvania. Now you've seen Eastern Washington's field in and Boise's with the solid colors. This one tops them. They have a gold sandy field football field and their school colors are like maroon and white so nothing to do with the school and is just hideous worst football field out there worst sport field out there in my opinion so that takes number one for me if if you're driving don't be don't be uh googling what these uh fields and courts look like but when you have the opportunity as you're listening to us Please take a take a moment out of your day to look these up. I think you'll get a good laugh. Probably cringe a little bit, but we got more where that comes from. Tanner, what does your five look like? It, it, it's just one thing with, with Boise State and Eastern Washington. I mean, their colors, like, like you mentioned this, their colors are, are it's blue and orange. So you get a blue field. It's black and red. So you get a red field. I mean, such a monotone and alternate color and tan, literally like a Humvee straight out of like Afghanistan or something like it just is not good at all. But for my list here at at number five, I have Colorado state basketball. They kind of have a, a a normal wooden color court, but they have two giant Ram horns kind of stemming out from center court and wrapping around the the three point line and into the paint. Um, It is just, I appreciate the effort and I think why it's not, higher or, or lower, depending how you look at it on this list, is because it's accurate to their school colors and mascot. I mean, they are the Rams and they have Ram horns. That makes sense. But the execution is quite poor. I don't like the way it looks at all. So that that's slotting in at number five. Number four, I have the throwback Charlotte Hornets court, the one that they brought back when the All-Star game was in Charlotte. The not painting the actual paint, but inside the three-point line doing a like a, a purple to teal fade is just way too much. It did not work at all. Just, just, it, it's just way too much. You can't really watch a basketball game like that. And it really does hurt your eyes. Number three, something that someone that or the school that Sam already had already mentioned central Arkansas. I mean, the, the, the alternate is way too much purple and gray and then then the black end zone with the purple writing and the gray outline it is just a splash of color in your face it is way way too much and really really ugly number two i have the oregon basketball court um this one doesn't make sense at all the first off it's just ugly to look at with all the 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 trees coming in from each side but they're the oregon ducks it has nothing to do with their branding. I know they're in Oregon, and I guess there are forests in Oregon, but has nothing to do with the branding whatsoever. It is clearly added because someone thought it looked cool, and whoever signed off on it should be fired because it is really, really <laughs> ugly. And number one, another one that Sam had already talked about, the James Madison Old Basketball Court. I mean, it's it's one thing if you just kind of have the, the the mascot on either side, but it is giant, like takes up three quarters of the width of the court and there's no other paint. Like it literally says JMW at center court paints, not painted the, the out of bounds around the edges and painting. It's literally just wood color with the JMU in center court, a few lines painted for like three point line and a half court line. And then these two giant dog heads. It is incredibly bad. Like the, the ugliest court and or, and or field I have ever seen. So that's why it slots in at number one. Luckily, there are for every terrible court, every terrible field, there's typically quite a few really great ones out there. We're not talking about any of those today. I'm also going to give you a few additional terrible fields 
terrible courts. And number five comes in. I was going back and forth between Boise State and Coastal Carolina. Sam already talked about Boise State. Coastal Carolina, they do some, they have a similar style as Boise State, except for that big bright blue, you replace it with this aqua color. For me, why it's worse than Boise is the fact that it's just not as notable. It's not as it's not something that's going to stick in your mind as much. So not only is it bad, but it's kind of bad for no reason. Sometimes when you have something that's bad, at least it's notable. It, it, people remember it. Coastal Carolina is this kind of faded aqua color. And, you know, it's not even good at being bad. At four, I have James Madison, and we've talked about this plenty of times. These giant dogs taking up majority of the court. It's unneeded, unnecessary, and ugly. At number three, I have UTEP basketball. The reason why I'm putting them here at three is they is that they got it wrong twice. Their old basketball court was they had they're the UTEP miners. So they had these big pickaxes. One was right side up and the other was reversed. So no matter which side of the court you're saying. As long as, as long as you're on the long side of the court, you would have some sort of pickaxe that would be right side up to you. And then uh, they're switching their court to a new version. They're, they're shrinking the pickaxes, making them smaller, putting them the same direction and putting them inside the three-point arc. But then on only one side, they're putting in a mountainside that they have near, uh, near the campus at uh, El Paso. The mountain is fine. The mountain's not even symmetric. It's It slowly rises up. And it's not like there's one on the other side that it balances out the that asymmetry. It's just off. The reason why I have UTEP at three is not only did they get it wrong once, but they got it wrong twice. At number two, I have Oregon basketball for the same reasons that Tanner said. They're the, they're the Oregon Ducks. And they have this big old ugly forest it could be excusable having something that's off from your brand if it looked good, but it doesn't. It's ugly. It distracts from the game, and that's not what you want. You want a field that complements your players on the court, the players on the field. And Oregon's court does not do that. And then at number one, the reason why I have Eastern Washington's bright neon red football field, why I have that at number one, not only does it distract you from the product on the field, if I were to sit down on the field and watch a game there, I feel like it would be burning into my eyes that I would either need to have some sunglasses on, even if it's in a night game. This is a field that not only distracts you, but pains you to look at. It is that bright red. It is that bad. I'm, I'm curious. Do you guys think there's a rule against like Eastern Washington or Boise that they can't wear red on red on red or blue on blue on blue while they're at home? I know Boise State has wore all blue uniform they have? So I, don't, I don't think there is because i remember uh it's like on a fake kickoff like a fake kick laid down yeah that's really funny maybe that's what bama needs to do just get a crimson field <laughs> and then wear crimson on crimson and have have john mechie just lay down inside the red zone and they'll lose them and then they'll get a free touchdown I don't, I don't think they need that. I think they're doing just fine. Yeah, they're, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe Iowa needs to get it. All right. Man. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Kidding. It kind of reminds me, though, of there was a snow game recently. I forget who Penn State was playing, but uh, there, was, there was snow on the field. Yeah. And yeah. The, Penn State just well, they, the they, were, they were wearing their all whites. And so they just completely blended mm, in. I think it was Michigan and, State. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because yeah. that was rivalry week and it was snowing in Michigan because yeah. the game was also snowing. So, yeah, but the field was completely covered and it was all uh-huh. white. And with Penn State wearing their all white, so they just hey, blended in. Elite camo. Maybe that's something we're missing. <laughs> and we should be giving props to Eastern Washington, Boise State, and Coastal Carolina. Okay. It feels like they have an unfair advantage. I wonder if the NCAA will, if, if Alabama or some big program would do it, like, Clemson, they get like an orange. A nice orange. Oh, oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's like we, of all the colors hey. we've seen, we haven't seen a big Dear bright Mr. Orange. Sweeney. But hey, now, why don't the Jets do that? Where they're all green. The field's <laughs> already green. It's true. They just get a green that matches. The and field. Lord needs, knows they need help. So they need all the help they can get. So those are all of our worst fields and courts. Make sure to go to Twitter to check out a graphic that we'll make to throw up there about what each of our worst fields and courts look like. 
That'll be a great graphic. Go check it out on Twitter at crunchtime underscore pod. Let's bring the NBA back into the conversation with Capper Fact. We're going to talk about three different prompts today, and we're going to break down different pieces of arguments, whether it's true, whether it's false, whether it's cap, or whether it's fact. Let's talk about the NBA offseason and who was the best pickup of the offseason. So, Capper Fact, Lonzo Ball, the only player in the NBA this season with 100 boards, 100 assists, 40 steals, and 20 blocks. He does a bit of everything. Lonzo Ball was the best pickup of the offseason. Capper fact. I'm going to say Cap. And as everyone knows, I love Lonzo Ball. He's one of my favorite players. But with that being said, his teammate has just done more this season. Uh, On the season, DeMar DeRozan is averaging 26 points on 50%, shooting uh, 33% from the three, five rebounds, four assists, one steal. And it's actually on track to be one of his best years throughout his career, even though many, many people um, were calling him washed. But he's proven the haters wrong. So I'm going to go cap, and I'm going with DeMar DeRozan is the best pickup of the offseason. I'm going to agree here. I also think this is cap. Um, And I tell you what, I mean, when we came into this, I was fully prepared for a debate (laughs) just to uh, speak to how monumental this is. Sam saying that going against Alonzo, but uh, I hey, hey, I mean, right now it's warranted. The, the the season he's putting together so far is is great. I mean, he's he's been one of one of the the best free agent pickups as we talked about. But I mean, Demar Derozan currently number four in the NBA in scoring, twenty six plus a game. You just can't you can't really get better than that or expect anything more than that right now. And Sure, Lonzo adds in, in a lot of different areas, and I think that is a particular particular aspect of his game that I, I like a lot in, in rebounding and in assists, of course. But and, and of course, it is better to get more rebounds and more assists than less. One rebound or one assist does not equal one point, and, and points are just so valuable in, in the game of basketball. And signing someone this offseason to to be number four in scoring is, is gotta be the best. So I agree with Sam here. It's cap. It's hard to argue against someone who's going to be an MVP candidate. If the bulls keep winning the way that they are and DeMar DeRozan keeps, uh, keeps up with these splits that Sam was talking about reading off some of his stats. It's hard to argue against that because he's going to be one of the best performers in the league for this year, not just in terms of pickups of the off season. I do want to throw some love out towards Lonzo. The fact that he's averaging uh, currently he's on pace to have his second highest year in scoring, but also one of his highest years in efficiency. Uh, This is the best year he shot from three point uh, shooting nearly 43% from the field. He's never eclipsed 38%. So not, so he has jumped up about 5% shooting from three. That's something that you don't see very often in the players making one offseason that big of a jump, 5% in the NBA in terms of making shots. That's a big difference, especially when you are already shooting 37% from three. So a 42% shooter from three, that's, that's borderline elite, which is if you remember when Lazo came into the league and he was shooting the ball sideways, that wasn't exactly what you were expecting. Another player I want to throw out and give some love towards uh, during the, as the NBA season was starting, NBA executives, scouts, and uh, best players were surveyed just like they are every off season. And one of the questions they were asked was what was the best move of the off season of all of the players, executives, scouts uh, surveyed only one person said the Chicago bulls off season as a whole so throwing Lonzo and Damar into one boat, they only one person said that. The person that led the survey with five votes was Kyle Lowry to the Miami Heat. That's been a big pickup for them this year. He's been a great addition to their squad. Uh, Kyle Lowry, definitely one of the best pickups. Not the best pickup, but Kyle Lowry kind of does for Miami what Lonzo does for Chicago. Uh uh, Kyle Lowry, he's averaging the same amount of points, the same amount of rebounds, and more assists. Uh, Lonzo's doing it at a higher efficiency, but Kyle Lowry, Lonzo Ball, both great offseason additions. But when you have an MVP candidate 
as one of your offseason additions. Unfortunately, I have to go cap with this one. As much as I'd love to stir the pot and make an argument artificially, it just wouldn't be true. Just to throw in a little devil's advocate here from an efficiency standpoint. Um, yes, it, I mean, Lonzo is, as you said, almost shooting 43% from three, but his two-point percentage has fallen off almost not almost 10%. Last year, he shot 48% from, from two. This year, he's only shooting 39% from two, and he's actually shooting worse overall. Granted, it's by 0.1%, but worse overall this year than he was last year. But that three-point percentage has been up, and when you're a guard in today's NBA, that is the main ticket item is, is your shooting from deep. So uh, I still do think Lonzo is the, the second best pickup this year behind DeMar. And that's a big why, the big reason why obviously Chicago is having so much success, but I just kind of wanted to throw that in there because that is a little perplexing as to why he's, he's almost 10% down from two. Yeah. I wonder if it's one of those situations where you have a player that's solely focusing on improving at one aspect of the game. And it, he, he could also just be cold because, you know, it's, and NBA is a game of streaks, game of runs. I'm sure they'll come back online eventually, but it is, it is something of concern to watch as the season progresses, especially for a team that's just half a game out of first place in the East. You have the Nets at 17 and seven, and you have the Bulls at 17 and eight. So they've had great success for a team that made a lot of changes in the offseason. The fact that it's gelling so fast, DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball are a big piece as to why. Yeah, just just one last uh, point. You mentioned um, Lonzo has kind of had this weird jump shot coming to the league, but he worked on it. Um, maybe 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 Ben Simmons uh, should take <laughs> a page out of the Lonzo Ball training book, but that's mm. a topic for another day. That is a topic mm. for another day. I think. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to I mean, wait for more information to come out on the Benson situation and talk about more at depth. But Tanner, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I mean, obviously Ben Simmons needs to – I mean, I guess step one for Ben Simmons would be get on the court somehow, some way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't even want to go down that road right now. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the one thing we'll say about the Ben Simmons situation right now is that Ben Simmons is currently out uh, not due to injuries – uh, he's currently out because uh, sources are saying that he is battling mental illness. And, uh, you know, for, for anyone out there battling mental illness, you understand that that's something that's hard to hard to buck off of once that's a issue that you're facing. So best of luck to Ben Simmons. We want to see him back on the court. want to see him being put in an opportunity to where he can start to live up to the potential that he does have, still has. But we just got to see him come back on the court and be aggressive. Let's go on to the next prompt here. The LeBron era is over. Capper fact. I'm actually going to go fact with this one, but it's not due to LeBron's basketball performance at all. I just think uh, Father Time is kind of catching up with him. He's been in the league, what, 20 years? Um, he's, he's still a top five player, no doubt about it. But just the injuries he sustained while during his time with the Lakers – um, 55 game. He only played 55 games in 2018, 67, 2019, 45 in 2020, 13 so far this year. So it seems father time is catching up with him, making him more prone to injuries. And it looks like the LeBron era is indeed over. I'm going to say cap here because I still think we're, we're currently in the LeBron era, but I think there is an, there's there's a lot of ways you can define the, the LeBron era. And if you want to look at it as the era where LeBron is the best player in the league, that's over. It's over. He, as Sam said, father time has caught up. He's playing less games. And then you have guys like Kevin Durant and Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who are almost, you know, Giannis, both almost seven foot. KD, the most talented offensive player we've ever seen. Giannis, I mean, the resume he has at, at his age is, is remarkable. Those are certainly two people I would put over LeBron currently. And then the way Steph Curry's playing. So he's not the best player in the league anymore. And, and if that's how you define the LeBron era, then yes, I think it's over. But I don't think that's how we should. Because LeBron is so great and is still, I mean, when he's healthy, playing such good basketball, 
that as long as he's not retired, he is going to be one of the most talked about, spotlighted, highlighted NBA players. And, and when the conversation around the game is so much about one player, I think it's difficult to say that his era is over. I think from the standpoint of how much conversation he's generating within the game and, and how much spotlight he, he gets and, and how much highlights you see and, and what he talks about, whether on and about the game or, or off, off the court and about other things. I just still think it's his era due to his, due to his influence over the game as a whole. So, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go capture. Those are two compelling angles to talk about the game. Uh, before I want to give my opinion, I want to just talk about some straight facts here. LeBron is going to turn 37 on December 30th and is currently in his 19th year in the league. Uh, through the season so far, he has been averaging 36.8 minutes a game. No other player in the top six of league minutes is over 30 years old. So no one at this age has done, is doing, and for a long time will continue to do what LeBron is currently doing right now. But his injuries are starting to rack up, as Sam was talking about. Last year, he suffered a high ankle sprain, which he re-injured to start this season and then missed time for an abdominal strain. This is someone who has been the Iron Man of the NBA, who has recently found himself on the sideline regularly since signing with the Lakers in 2018-2019. I think an interesting correlation to make is what defines an era. Is the era the dominance of the player? Or is the era the influence of the player? Because let's look at another legend, Kobe Bryant. When did his era end? Because there was a point in time where, for years, Kobe was the best player in the league. What derailed his career, what ended the Kobe Bryant era, was injuries. In 2012, after averaging 27 points, he then got injured and only played six games in 2013. And when he came back in 2014 and this last year in 2015, he just wasn't the same anymore. You could tell after he came back from injury, the Kobe Bryant era was in its waning moments. LeBron's had nowhere near the as severe as injuries as Kobe has suffered. I'm actually going to go with cap here. I thought I was going to go with fact, but as I'm looking at this, if we're talking about other eras with other players, we're not talking about them being the by far best player in the league. And that's what defines the era. It's when they're on the way out and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still quite a few years for LeBron. If and he has the caveat, if LeBron can stay healthy and that's the biggest if with him right now at 37 in year 19, you hardly see players cross 20 and continue to go to much farther past 20. So that's where the if lies for the LeBron era. Is there going to be that massive injury that knocks him out for the remainder of a season and more? I hope not. We want to be able to experience the greatness of LeBron as long as possible, but that's the course that we're running right now. LeBron is having the most minutes, one of the most minutes in the league, and he's one of the oldest players in the league. If the Lakers want to keep continue the LeBron success going, they need to lower his minutes. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, you're under the, the same impression that I am that it's not quite over yet. What would it take for it officially to be over? Is it what similar to, to Kobe, whereas the injuries pile up and he kind of, if he finds that significant injury and it really affects his play on the court, but he's still playing, do you think that would be enough to say the LeBron era is over? Or are you kind of with me that LeBron's resume, he's such an outlier and he's so great and historically great that kind of as long as he's still playing, he is going to have this giant influence on the game. And therefore the LeBron era will still be going as long as he's not retired. I think I'm somewhere in the middle of where Sam is and where you are, because I think the LeBron era could be over with him in the league. Uh, last night, the, the Los Angeles Lakers played the Boston Celtics and LeBron went out and scored 30 plus points. He looked like a dominant player in the league and a dominant force in the league. During Kobe's last two years, he was no longer the dominant force that he was earlier. So at that point in time, in my mind, 
even though Kobe was still in the league, the era had ended. And this was just kind of oh, the, so it's a yeah. similar to Kobe kind of outline. Yeah. It's okay. like currently the reason why LeBron's era is still continuing is because when he's healthy, the, the, he's yeah, it's like so the, dominant. It's like yeah. the, the, the king may not be the best player in the league, but the king still reigns over the league until someone yeah. firmly takes that reins and makes themselves the top consistently. I agree with the the way y'all took it. I totally agree. He's the main focus of the NBA. And I don't think anybody could argue that. Uh, I took this as he's the best player. It's just based on the plane, which I can debate on many players being better than LeBron. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went with fact. I was taking it more as mm-hmm. plain. Is it is his era still, but off court and just like his, his image of the NBA, the first person people think of it's either him or Steph so yeah I I agree with the way y'all that angle y'all took it because I want to ask you if I think my biggest problem with saying the LeBron era is over is if it's no longer the LeBron era what era is it and we we won't know that for for a little bit of time because it takes time to really create those narratives and it might be the Giannis era it could be the Curry era at KD, it's whoever you know graphs the the narratives of the league. These these next few years are going to be incredibly formative for those narratives. But if it's no longer the LeBron era, do we know what era it is, or what do you think on that point? I think right now we're, we're closest to entering the Giannis era, yeah. Um, because I mean, what Steph Curry is doing this year is, I mean, obviously incredible. It's not anything we haven't seen from Steph Curry. He won back-to-back MVPs a couple of years ago, but again, he was overshadowed by LeBron and in, in, in dubbing it the era and, and KD, what happened with the going to golden state and playing with Steph, I think hurt both of them in terms of era talk. And then now going back in and playing with another super team. Now, I mean, it doesn't take away from any of his skill, but when you talk about dominance of an era, it hurts him. So I think as we talk right now, we are entering and in the beginning stages of the Giannis era. I think something to watch is going to be Giannis and Luka Doncic. I think Luka is potentially a player that could threaten uh, Giannis's grip on the league, but Luka isn't there yet, and Giannis is. Oh, who am I kidding, Sam? We're entering the ball era. The yeah. b- <laughs> La It's hard to tell who's gonna be the next LeBron because there's so much talent in this league right now you have guys like KD who's kind of been overshadowed by LeBron you have Giannis doing unspeakable things at the young age of 27 you have Luca. you have all these young talents that are just really now entering Mm -hmm. their prime years so Honestly, there's like five guys that can be the next LeBron, if you can even say that. Yeah, and I think I think something that's important is that uh, you know you have you have Jordan, and then Kobe wanted to be the next Jordan, and he went out and he got about as close to being the next Jordan as anyone could possibly get. Is someone going to try and be the next LeBron, or are they going to be the first of their own thing? And I think that'll be interesting to watch. I think it'd be dumb to try to be the next LeBron personally. Yeah. Because it's incredible what he has done Mm -hmm. for the longevity he's done. Yeah. Yeah. I say LeBron is this weird uh, combination of you take all of the, you take uh, a good amount of the skills that Magic had back in the day. You put, you transplant that in the modern league and, and add an insane athleticism, the high IQ that Magic had, but. A bunch of other modern skills yeah. as well. I mean, it's literally what it was: the, the insane athleticism, the the high IQ, like Magic had, the the like just pure passing talent that Stockton had. I mean, it formed this incredible basketball player that just can and will dominate the league for a very long time. Mm-hmm. The yeah. best way to put LeBron's skill set is. If you make a create player in NBA 2K and make him a 99 at everything, mm-hmm. that's literally what LeBron's career has been. 
let's talk about a player that's not 99 and everything. And let's talk about Russell Westbrook. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be poking a bear here. I have a feeling uh, we'll see how this goes. Capper uh, fashion Westbrook is no longer a top five point guard in the NBA. We're going to go to Sam first. What do you think about this take Sam Capper fact? I'm saying cap. Um, <laughs> I know that's shocking. <laughs> All right, why, why is it shocking? Come on, let, let us know. Speak with your chest here. Honestly, okay, I'm not putting it. I'm putting him at number five for me. Um, I don't think he's the best point guard. I don't think he's the second, third, fourth uh, best point guard. But I cannot think of anybody that's better than him when it comes. So my four in front of him are Steph, Luca, Chris Paul, and Damian Lillard, and I. I I tried. I really tried to look for a better player than Russ at the point guard position. And I just couldn't. Um, I mean, he's averaged triple doubles uh, for multiple season. You can call him a stat patter. I don't know why that's really a bad thing, in my opinion. If it helps the team win, why, why is it a problem? But that's a conversation for another day. So... I do think Westbrook is a top five point guard and he's sitting at five for me. I'm going with fact here. Westbrook is not a top five point guard in the league. So Curry, Doncic, Chris Paul, and then Damian Lillard. Those four are far and away better than Westbrook. So a few players that I would personally right now have over Westbrook. If he was playing in the league, I would have Kyrie. I would have Ja Morant. I would have Trey Young. These are a few point guards that I would rather have right now, not for their future, for what they can do, but these are players that I feel like don't turn the ball over as much as Westbrook does, are more consistent than Westbrook is because this is the same man who had a quadruple double earlier this season with points, assists, rebounds, and turnovers. My biggest problem with Russ isn't isn't what he likes to do on the floor because I want someone who's athletic enough to impact all facets of the game. There's not a player in the NBA that works harder than Russell Westbrook. That's something that you're never going to be able to take away from him. What kills me about Russ, you take a game about like last night, the Lakers played the Celtics. Westbrook had one of the best games of the season so far. He was everywhere. He was efficient and he was disrupting the other team on defense. That's when you get Russ at his best. And Russ is just too inconsistent for me. I don't know what I'm going to get at him some nights. Sometimes I'll get, I'll get a triple-double and it'll be efficient. But other nights, I'll get eight to ten turnovers. And some of the other younger players in the league give me more, more consistently than Russ does. So let me get this straight. You're picking two point guards that aren't – even playing right now over a starting point guard correct Mm -hmm. John Morant and Kyrie are not playing right now is John Morant not currently playing he is not he is hurt okay I mean Trey Young still puts him out of the top five Trey Young's averaging 26 points and he's averaging nine and a half assists that's where and that's where we disagree I guess I say Westbrook's averaging 20 points he's averaging less assists he has more rebounds but Trey Young is doing it at a more efficient clip than Westbrook is. I did. I disagree, but I'll respect your opinion. So wait, so you 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 disagree with the fact that Trey Young's averaging more points? Like where where do you disagree here? Because Trey Young is I, averaging. In my more opinion, points. I take Russ over um, Trey Young, but mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. Uh, Trey Young's a better shooter. But I mean, it's what it's what you prefer, and what who does more for what is my thing. So Tanner, break the tie here because we the two of us are going back and forth a little bit. Where where do you lie in this argument? Boy, um, right now I with the prompt, Russell Westbrook is not a top five point guard. My answer is I think that is fact. As we currently stand, I, I agree. The four, the four people that Sam put in and, and you put in, obviously, and I think I agree with you right now, as they're currently playing, I would rather have Trey on. And, and it kind of goes back to this, 
to, to this thought I had is like, yeah, yes, it, it is great that R- Russell Westbrook gets other stats than points that's needed. And I really like when players realize there are multiple ways to affect the game than just scoring. But one rebound doesn't equal one point. And, and as you look at compare Trey Young and, and Russell Westbrook, Trey Young averages six more points and the only thing Russell averages more rebounds. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's around four more rebounds and, and Trey Young obviously has, has more assists. And I think assists will have, should have more weight than rebounds because they directly lead to points. The points are obviously how you win basketball games and they are the most important. And as of right now, I think Trey Young is, is better at generating that from himself and via assist. So right now I would take Trey Young over Russell Westbrook. But, I mean, this is the most talent Russell Westbrook has had around him in a long time. And for a player like him who's not a spot-up shooter and who, who, who kind of is, is – is, is, he's a playmaker. Let's call it what it is. He is a playmaker. So when you surround him with, a, with all, these, all this talent for the first time in a very long time, I mean, he had that kind of – mini uh experiment in okc where he had paul george uh and, and Mello. i mean although Mello wasn't exactly what we what we thought he would be but this is the best team he's had in a while so i think it, it's very understandable to see his numbers drop um but i i just think right now i would rather have trey on. so so to the prompt i would say that this is fact that he is no longer a top five point guard as it stands but i'm not i don't think he's too far off from being top five. I think ultimately we're talking about someone who's arguing that he's five, and I'm saying that I'd probably put him seven, eight, nine. Russ is still a good point guard in the league. I just think that there's a reason why right now this is kind of the Russell Westbrook experiment version of the Lakers. I think there's a reason why Russ has been on four teams in four years. I think there's a reason no one's building a franchise around Russ compared to building a franchise around Trey Young. Like sure, Trey Young's younger and there's more of a future. That's why you have franchise players. But Westbrook has been on Westbrook has been on four teams in four years. No team has been committing to him long term, especially with that big of a contract. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think your point about four teams in four years is valid. I, I think everyone, I don't, I don't even think Sam right now, if he could choose to build a franchise around Yeah, exactly. Trae I was, was a little out of I was out of pocket on, on that one, but why I, brought, I, I brought totally back. pick Russ. Now, huh? <laughs> I don't disagree. It there are multiple point guards in that six to five to ten range that can be in any order, in my opinion. It's just in, in the way the current the NBA stands for most teams, Russell Westbrook is a tough fit because right now the classic makeup of a basketball team is good shooting guards right now and and that's a problem for people like ben simmons and russell westbrook so i think it's a it becomes a unique team build and i think this kind of speaks to your four teams in four years is because people have this this construction of the team and they just try and plug russ in there and it doesn't work because that's not who he is so then they're just like, okay, this experiment didn't work. Let's go get someone else. Let's go get someone else. And it just, he just kind of keeps moving from team to team. So with the way the current uh, – Russ's biggest problem right now is the current makeup of the NBA. And building a unique team around him is, is different. It's, it's different than, than normal teams do right now. So I think that's why there's so much turnover. And with his age and price tag, I don't think teams are going to commit to – such a change in philosophy to have Russ be that star point guard who isn't a good shooter. I also hate the fact he's on the Lakers. <laughs> like the not fit didn't saying, seem good. Not that he doesn't fit. You already have a player and I'm not comparing LeBron and Russ. I'm throwing that out, but <laughs> their play styles are very similar. Russ needs the ball in his hand to be effective. I don't think anybody can argue with that and LeBron and they're playing on the same team at the same time. I just don't think it's a fit. And that's kind of why I think the numbers have been a little down this year. I don't understand why the Lakers aren't doing, because here 
LeBron and Westbrook are both averaging 36 minutes a game. They, they need to have more of their minutes. I, I think LeBron needs to be playing less minutes for his longevity. Majority of those, like every minute when LeBron isn't on the floor, Westbrook needs to be on the floor. That's how, that's how this situation works. Not because the, the reason why I think Russ to the Lakers can work isn't because of what the two of them can do on the court at the same time, but because of the fact that you can offset their minutes and LeBron likes to load minutes sometimes. And so having Westbrook to plug in when LeBron's not there is nice to have, but yeah, overall team fit. Russ is hard to deal with and it doesn't help that he's averaging the least amount of points that he's been in the league since 2009. Like that was the last time he averaged under 20, 20 points. He's currently averaging 20.4 points. Uh, this is the this is the least amount of rebounds he's had per game since 2014. I think that's more so the fact that he's also with a bunch of other great rebounding players in LA, and that's less to do with what Russ booked than yeah. I mean, when the Lakers won their championship, they had what what did they what were their role players? Guys like Danny Green, J.R. Smith, Deion Waiters, Markeith Morris. Even these are guys who can shoot, you know. And when you have two dominant forwards that are dominant in the paint. You're prone to doubles and therefore catch and shoot is huge. And, I, and, and that's what I, I think the 76ers have tried to do when they thought they were going to have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, kind of two guys who are, who are in the paint and talented at that, surround yourself with shooters. And when the Lakers were able to do that, they won a championship. To wrap up the episode, we're going to hop into Pickums. Let's break down our records first. I mentioned how Tanner and I were tied, no longer tied. Uh, he leads overall 45 and 28 uh, on the month. I'm 44 and 29. Sam just three games behind me at 41 and 36. Sam had the best week out of anyone this week going three and two. Tanner and I both went one four this week. So Tanner and I struggled <laughs> massively this week. One for four. That's tough. So Sam is currently leading in the month of December. Tanner and I are going to have to try and catch up. And if we can't catch up, the two of us will have to battle up to see battle out to see who gets the punishment in December, but we have quite a few more weeks to go. Let's hop into some of the games. We have the one college football game happening this weekend, or at least the only one that people are going to be paying attention to. And that's army and Navy. We talked about this game when we talked, when we broke down our best rivalry games, Navy simply put doesn't bring the same level of talent, uh, to the field as Army does from a football perspective. Uh, Army is currently favored by seven and a half here. Let's sh- let's throw it over to someone who will be at the game. Tanner, who are you taking in this one? First off, I'm just really excited. I mean, I'm, it's going to be my first Army-Navy game. I've been to an Army-Air Force game over at West Point, and that was just an incredible experience in itself between the, the military academies, but nothing beats Army-Navy. Just want to throw that in there. But with that said... Too much talent. Army is the better team. They're favored that way, and, and I think they'll take care of business. So, so I got Army. Yeah, as a uh, son of a Army veteran, I I can't go with Navy. <laughs> so I'm going with Army, and not only that reason, but Army simply put the better team. So I got Army in this one. Army's eight and three, and Navy's three and eight. So they've had. You know, they've been complete flip-flop this season and a big heap of gratitude towards all of the people that are currently serving, have served. But unfortunately for the people that serve for Navy, might not be too happy after this weekend because we're all going with Army and I don't know how close the game's going to be. Hopefully it stays at least somewhat close. Let's hop into the NFL for the next four games. We're going to go from rivalry game to rivalry game. This one in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens coming off a loss traveling to Cleveland, who is favored by two and a half. Sam, are you going to take the Ravens here, or are you taking the Browns? I'm going with the Ravens. Um, Just coming off that heartbreaking loss to Steelers last week, I think they have a little bounce back game, and I think they get done against the Browns. Not so fast, my friend, as uh, Lee Corso would say. Um, I, I think the Browns will win this game. The Ravens are just so decimated by injuries right now, especially on that defense, and you know what the Browns like to do. They like to run the ball. Both their backs are now healthy. And I think they'll be successful in doing so and kind of wear down that depleted Ravens defense and the Browns will get the win at home. So I got the Browns here. 
The Browns are a really weird team to look at here because two weeks ago, the Browns and the Ravens played. The Ravens won 16 to 10. Now they're playing again. Uh, but if you look, now they're playing again in Cleveland. But if you look at the Browns season, it's really confusing because they either score less than 20 points or they score 40 or more. You have to go all the way back to September 19th or September 26th when that wasn't true. In, in the last several games, it's, it's been 14, 42, 14, 17, 10, 41, 7, 13, 10. So if the Ravens are going to win this game, they need to keep the Browns under 20 points because if they don't, they're going for 40. It's 40. Yeah. So it's there's there's no there's no in between. Trends definitely don't lie. There's nothing like that. But the Browns aren't going for 40. That's not going to happen to this Ravens defense by the Browns as they're currently set up because the Browns are also dealing with a lot of injuries. I think the Ravens are going to do enough to get into those mid 20s. They had a like you guys have talked about a heartbreaking loss of the hands of the Steelers going for a two point conversion when they're just down one after they scored a touchdown. I am going to go with the Ravens in a very close game in Cleveland, but if Cleveland's going to stay afloat in the AFC race here, this is going to be a really important game for them to have. So the next game are the Bills and the Buccaneers. The Bills are coming off one of the craziest games with wind gusts upwards of 50, 60 miles per hour during that game between them and the Patriots. I still think that the Bills would have won if it was a normal setting, but the two will play again later this season, so we'll get another look into it. They'll be traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers, who are favored by three. The Buccaneers have one of the best records in the NFC. The Bills have one of the best records in the AFC. These two teams are looking for getting a win here. Both are trying to chase down either the one seed in the NFC or their, uh, or the one seed in the AFC because, of course, Tom Brady's the – chasing the one seed and bill belichick is the one seed of course we might naturally have, naturally might have this super bowl breakout between the two but who takes it here between the buffalo bills josh allen playing a familiar foe and tom brady bills are just so confusing they are just they are so confusing and the bucks really aren't they have tom brady and they're a good football team and tom brady has seen Years and years of success against the Bills. He knows how to play against the Bills, and I don't think it stops. Buccaneers just have the better or have the better team. So, so I'm going with Buc- the Bucks here. Yeah, I'm all, I'm also in agreement. I think uh, the Bills have just been a lot of highs and a lot of lows this season. Not very consistent throughout the season, and one thing Tom Brady is, is consistent. So I got the bucks in this one. The Buccaneers have been a weird team, less weird (laughs) than the bills, but just a few weeks ago, the Buccaneers really struggled against the Washington football team. And through three quarters last week, they're struggling against the Falcons and they needed a last second drive to beat the Colts. But in this game, I think the bills, they saw some low lows last week. I think they're going to see some high highs. This is a team that's trying to fight to get back into contention. That's going to be fighting to get back into contention with the Patriots for that division lead. I think they get it done. I think Josh Allen and that, uh, that offense was really is going to be really frustrated. They weren't able to do much of anything against the Patriots defense and that wind the bills receivers caught. I mean, dropped a lot of great passes by Josh Allen because of the wind. Uh, there was some great defensive moments, but the wind really messed up that offense. And so here in a bet and better weather conditions, I think they get it done. But again, I think we're going to have a lot of close games in the NFL this week. This one being included in that. Let's talk about the next game with the 49ers and the Bengals, San Francisco traveling to Cincinnati. This one is practically a pick up. The, the Bengals are favored by one. Both teams incredibly inconsistent this year. So which inconsistent team are you picking? I'm I'm going with the Bengals. I just really like what I've seen from Joe Burrow and his connection with Jamar Chase. Um, so yeah, that's that's the reason I'm going with the Bengals for uh for that connection. All right. So I mean we've talked about the Browns, the Bills, 
and now the Bengals. If your name starts with a B, you have to be weird this season, apparently. And I mean, high high highs and low lows. The Bengals are another team that just gets thrown thrown right into that category. In Cincinnati, I think the the Bengals have looked better. If if you take away the one game anomaly against or against uh, Cleveland, which I think think is fair, coming off the whole Odell Beckham saga and Baker Mayfield on on one arm looked like Tom Brady, uh, which was uh, a little bit perplexing. So I think that's an okay game to throw away. Then then they're looking pretty good at home. They're three and one, and one of those one of those games went to overtime against the Packers, who is the number two seed in the NFC right now. So. So I think the Bengals have looked better at home. I think the, the, the 49ers are a team who, who thrives at, at home with that defensive line kind of feeding off the, the, the energy in the stadium. I don't, obviously, they won't have that in Cincinnati. So I think Cincinnati will do just enough to get it done here. So I got the Bengals. The Bengals are definitely a team that play better at home. But uh, a, a really interesting game just happened last week in Cincinnati between the Chargers and the Bengals. The Chargers jumped out to a 24 to nothing lead. And then the Bengals closed the gap playing at uh, 24 to 22. Uh, the Bengals were a two point conversion away from tying the game. They failed the two point conversion, but then the Chargers proceeded to blow them out in Cincinnati by the, uh, by the score of 41 to 22. So just in one game encapsulates a bit of the inconsistencies, regardless of where the location is with uh, what happened last week between the Chargers and the Bengals. Uh, the 49ers are a team that's really turned the ship around. Uh, in week one, nearly blowing a lead to the Lions, then struggling against quite a few teams, falling behind in the NFC race. But then as of late, getting wins against the Rams, against the Vikings, falling last week to the Seahawks. This is a team that's looking to get back on track. I think they're one of the better wildcard teams one of the better non-division leading teams in the NFL. And I think they get it done in Cincinnati with a great defense and an offense that will keep it safe. Uh, Joe Burrow uh, last week was uh, injured his hand, uh, injured his throwing hand against the chargers. Uh, we definitely hope that he's healthy and things are back to normal with him, but that could potentially play a factor in this game. The last game that we'll talk about is Monday night football. This is the game that I'm looking forward to the most out of any other game. You have a team that's been struggling very much unexpectedly in the LA Rams since the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. Things have not come on well. Uh, the, the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller to that defense. I was expecting that the Rams would be doing a lot better with those two additions, but uh, the, the loss of Robert Woods hasn't been helping. They traveled to Arizona, a team that blew them out earlier in L.A. This game in Arizona, the Cardinals are favored by three. And last week, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins came back for the first time in several weeks, and they looked really good. So who's taking it here in this divisional matchup? Do the Cardinals slam the door on the Rams to win the division, or do the Rams get right back in it with a win? When you look at the Rams – Last week could not have come at a better time. And, and last week they played the Jaguars at home, a nice, easy get right game. And I think it helped. I mean, I think it, I think it worked. I, I think the Rams will come back after this game and in the weeks to come looking like the Rams, we think they are uh, with it, with the talent they have on that roster. But with that being said in Arizona, Arizona has their sights on that division champion or that division title. I think they get it. I think the Cardinals are just too much right now for the Rams. I think the Rams look better. They don't get blown out like they did earlier in the year. And I think it's a very close game, but I got the Cardinals here on a light, late field goal to win. Yeah. Uh, you're wrong. Um, simply. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going with the Rams here. Um, I think they just have more to play for really. And as inconsistent as they've been, they're coming off a big win given as the Jaguars. I think their confidence is at a at a really good spot. And I think they uh, kind of pull off the upset, keeping their uh, playoff chances and all that jazz alive. Well, you know what, Sam? You're wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with the Cardinals here. 
the Rams had a very important get right game last week against the Jaguars. That was a great opponent to go up against in the three weeks prior to that. Matthew Stafford had thrown a pick six in each of those three consecutive games right before facing the Jaguars. So I'm sure he's very happy that he was able to snap that streak. And now trying to set a new winning streak. I don't think they get it done. The Cardinals are, the Cardinals have one of the most explosive offenses in the league. That's looked really good, even without Kyler Murray and without DeAndre Hopkins uh, now coming, getting those guys back going up against a familiar foe, someone that you handled earlier on, but now you get to play that team at home. The Rams have struggled big time. We've talked about that at length. I don't think we've given the Cardinals enough credit with what they're able to do without Kyler Murray and without some of those weapons. But now that they're getting them back, that's a dangerous team. We're finally getting some good primetime Monday night football games. Monday night football will be much better. Well, I don't know what you're but, talking about. I mean, we just had, what was it, the, the Saints Seahawks? That was quite possibly the, the best football we've ever seen on Monday night football a couple right. weeks ago. Trevor Simeon versus Geno Smith. <laughs> the barn burner for game that was. In recent years, that would have been a great game between uh, Russ and Drew Brees, but <laughs> what a drop-off for both of those teams. That wraps up for episode 25. Make sure to throw us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at crunchtime underscore pod. The clock has run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.